All right, it's showtime. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's Vendo Velocity podcast. I know we took a little bit of a break last week, but it's great to see everybody back here today. And today we have one of the most special guests at Vendo here on the Amazon side, making her first ever Vendo podcast debut, right, Holly? Correct. All right, there we go. Well, Holly, I'll let you introduce yourself and just um, your role here at Vendo and just the types of categories that you work on as well. All right. Yeah. So I'm Holly. I work as an Amazon account strategist here at Vendo, which means I, you know, own a couple uh, brands, books of business on Amazon. Uh, some of the categories I work in are beauty, uh, beach towels, uh, bracelets. Um, what are some? Oh, like compression socks. So yeah, just a wide array uh, growing their business on Amazon. Been at Vendo for a little over a year now, and it's been a great experience. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Yes. Well, we are very excited. And Holly is a very valued member of our team, one of our strongest account strategists. So excited to kind of pick her brain here on all things Amazon Fresh. And I think this is a little bit different on what we um, have talked about on these Vendor Velocity lives before, because we've dabbled a little bit into Vendor Central. We've dabbled a little bit into Seller Central. And then I think this is honestly most similar to the Walmart ecosystem here. And Holly and I have learned a lot since just diving into fresh and the nuances that come with it. But I think that there's also just a lack of knowledge in the industry about fresh overall. So we're hoping to just give um, some overall best practices when you're a brand selling on Amazon Fresh, some things to know in terms of interacting with your vendor manager and really what does the fresh customer look like and how can you optimize to increase your market share in the realm of fresh. So Holly, let's just go ahead and kick it off here. Let's start talking about the Amazon Fresh customer, because I think that sometimes people don't realize how much of an overlap there is with the Amazon customer themselves. So from just the fresh data that we've been shared with us internally, about three of four Amazon customers themselves actually purchase their groceries online. And 74% of those customers are planning trips in advance. And 63% are engaging online before their grocery trip even happens. So if you recall, There are Fresh stores, which I'm sure many of you guys have seen in your neighborhood, but also Amazon Fresh Online is even a bigger segment of their overall business. So Holly, speak a little bit about that and how important it is to have really omni-channel alignment, not just through some of the promotions that you're running, but really educating the customer on the digital shelf so that you can increase conversions in-store. Absolutely. So I think a big part of it is just understanding like from a demographic standpoint, like the person who's shopping on Fresh is definitely millennials, like older Gen Z, like that like demographic that is probably either just about to have kids or just doesn't have kids yet. So they have that disposable income to really like play and spend with. But then also too, like a lot of them might be living alone or living with only one other person. So they have to be pretty cognizant about like what groceries they're going to be buying. And so I think like a big habit that like that generation has come into is pre-shopping online and like un- like building their cart that way so that they don't overspend like at a grocery store. And then like just planning out accordingly from there, like what they're going to be buying. Another thing about that is that that generation is definitely 
grown up with shopping online, like overall to begin with. And so what I think is really helpful for them is just being able to research your product online first, understanding the ingredients, understanding your branding, understanding that whole selling experience from an online first. And then maybe they'll go in store, maybe they'll get delivery, all that kind of stuff is just then based off of their own personal shopping habits. But being available online from like the first step is probably my biggest recommendation to anybody selling within that fresh space, because then they'll really be able to read, review, make their own decision from there. And then they'll choose to buy in whatever capacity that they want. So being available in store, being available online, uh, being available, like the lady said, in all those omni-channel spaces is what's going to drive up your conversion more than anything. Exactly. And ultimately, we all know that your online sales are eventually going to lead to more opportunities in stores as well. So Absolutely. that shelf space in stores is very limited. But by having the ability to drive those increased sales online, you're now allowing your brand to have more presence um, in some of these doors that are very limited on the fresh side. Again, there's not the level of distribution that Walmart has across the country. And Amazon has obviously done that Um for a reason here, it's strategic in which they only have some of these fresh stores spread out across the country. But at the same time, it's making sure that those items are available for purchase. And also what we've been told by Amazon Fresh is that over 30% of their customers actually regularly grocery shop and another 27% are looking for items. Um, they're buying a couple of items that they need immediately. So there's yeah. both impulse and regularity here, right? But then yeah. I think the biggest opportunity is that in many categories in the fresh realm, 80 to 90% of those customers are repeat purchase um, products. And they're also buying products in other categories. So talk about that, Holly, because obviously from a seller central standpoint, and for many of our brands, I mean, you talked about beach towels and bracelets and obviously engaging those repeat customers, improving lifetime value long term. Those are all part of our greater strategies. But cross promoting for fresh is almost one of the bigger um, strategies for fresh, because now you know that that customer is making multiple trips to the grocery store or buying multiple times online and they also have bigger basket sizes. So talk about some of those opportunities to cross promote specifically for fresh. Yeah, so I think a lot of like the opportunity really lies within their ad strategy, right? Like they do give a lot of data in terms of like, let's say you went into an Amazon fresh store and you went and like through their purchase route, they're then gathering your customer data in a way that like another, like a regular grocery store wouldn't be able to gather that customer data on you. And now like creating a profile in terms of like what items that you ended up buying at that particular visit and then being able to then go and retarget you, right? Like whether it's online, whether it's like going back into the store and making sure that like you see it like on a store end cap, whatever it may be. And like, there's a lot of different avenues within that, whether that's like a uh, demand side platform advertising, DSP, or it's the streaming TV video ads that they're now trying to like really segment. If it's giving you a space like on the category page and like really promoting you like on like a certain event, things like that. But I think that something Amazon really does well with like having these Amazon fresh stores that a lot of other grocery stores are trying to get into but haven't really got into yet is like the lady said, giving that customer that lifetime value and knowing how to retarget them because that really keeps you in the funnel. And especially if you just ended up like 
you know, impulse purchasing something because you really needed something quickly, but then you ended up liking the product. And let's say you didn't even remember what you bought because it was really quick. And you just like, oh, I bought it for that one occasion and I liked it, but I don't even remember because it was an impulse purchase. Amazon's going to lead you back into that. So that's uh, something that they do really well. And just understanding all of the different avenues that you would be, you know, implementing those ads and being able to cross strategize throughout the year of like when you want to be utilizing those advertisements is going to be really important to growing your business because you really want to bring them into that funnel. And like Delaney said, like if you're talking about Seller Central and like some other different categories, a lot of the ways that like Amazon already does that is through subscribe and save, right? Like that's like how a lot of them really keep people in the funnel there with anything that's of repeat purchase value. So when you're talking about Amazon Fresh and it's not as, you know, cut and dry, I'm just getting a subscription and then like getting it delivered every three months or one month. This is like kind of their way of going about that. Exactly. I think you mentioned a few important things, one of them being DSP. Of course, if you're in the fresh, if you're a fresh seller and you're not um, advertising DSP, then that's a huge missed opportunity because that's a whole pool of customers that you're now limiting yourself to be able to retarget there. And just due to the number of repeat customers, bringing those customers back into your funnel. I know that Amazon will typically say that the split between DSP and sponsored ads is actually flip-flopped versus what you'll see in just selling uh, a regular product that is not a consumable or not in the fresh sphere. So but they'll actually so say, more, okay, yeah. Yeah, like, it's so much more important to geo-target because right. like you said, there's only so many Amazon fresh stores. So I mean, to really target the people that are by the store um, and like that, and then maybe even get them into the store or get them around like the certain fulfillment centers that have Amazon fresh, things like that. It's very much more like geo-targeting like location-wise than it is like on just regular selling on Amazon. Sorry. Exactly. And let's hop into that a little bit more, Holly, because I think that's one of the bigger pain points is obviously you need to be a lot more particular with not just your sponsored ad strategy or your DSP strategy, but just your overall, how do you drive organic sales? The number one thing is you need to get inventory in. And with these limited online locations, there's 56 online locations for um, fresh. And that's a small pool, right? And the two words that are uh, troubling to hear sometimes, Spartan Nash. So Spartan Nash is Amazon's third-party distributor network. And basically how Spartan Nash works is that there are certain direct distribution, distribution centers spread across the country. There's two on the West Coast. There's two on the East Coast. So you can sell direct in those distribution centers. Um, however, the issue is that those four distribution centers do not service the full country. So because of that, you need to rely on Amazon's third-party distribution network called Spartan Nash to serve particular locations. So for example, if we're looking at like the Florida area, then that Florida area is going to need to be served by Spartan Nash locations because there's not a direct distribution center that can be um, utilized to fill that demand. Now, you might ask, why, do, why would you use Spartan Nash? Why can't you sell fully direct? Well, the f first answer is, of course, that's what I just had repeated in that some distribution centers just don't ship there, but also some distribution centers have a maximum limit that can be stored there in terms of inventory. So once you've maxed that out, you have to use Spartan Nash as well. So Holly, let's talk about some of the challenges that we've seen with Spartan Nash. What have we seen as far as the working relationship? Um, and 
as well, what are your recommendations for a brand that is seeing lower fill rates on the Spartan Nash side of the business? Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you're anybody who's worked on the vendor central side of Amazon, like, you know, that this isn't really that different from just working with Amazon directly anyway. And like, just, you know, being kind of a little bit at their mercy in terms of how much like a uh, product you can send into a lot of their fulfillment centers. And the reason that this one, uh, like the lady said, just gets a little bit more complicated is that there's just even less availability within those spaces than there are in just regular fulfillment centers of Amazon because it's fresh and they have to have a lot of different you know, particular storage about your product. Um, and so I think one of the biggest recommendations that like I would give to, um, you know, people trying to sell within Spartan Ash is just understanding like from a business perspective, like what items really are like driving the business and knowing like which ones Amazon are going to want to protect more than anything, right? Because if you are like trying to cycle out like a big um item that's like in your catalog that's been historically a bestseller then yeah that's gonna be like hurtful to your fill rates and hurtful to you know what they're trying to accomplish because at the end of the day they're just trying to satisfy the customer and make money right so i think that that's probably like step one there too i'd push as hard as you can on them to give you as much information as possible into you know maybe why fill rates have gone down what they could be doing to like improve on that in terms of selection what exactly they're looking for to like from your brand and from your products to then like you know continue to appease that customer uh for your product and everything and really just try to maybe even sell it that way to them like really just appeasing them in terms of what it is they could potentially be looking for so that you really just create that seamless business relationship because if you really do it that way rather than just trying to come down their throat all the time of like well why isn't this happening why isn't that <laughs> instead like raven in a way that like it's like we're trying to help you we're trying to help you know all of our customers like be you know satisfied with what we are providing them and just continue to go along that way I understand we more than anyone understand how frustrating it could be to deal with Amazon sometimes in terms of, you know, all the things that they have to do on their back end as well. But I definitely I more than anything, it's always a relationship and understanding where it is they're coming from and then kind of going from there. Exactly. Perfectly said, Holly. A few things to add to that from just what we've seen on our side. Um, Spartan Nash issues have been derived from a few things. One has been the selection list. So you have to partner with your Amazon vendor manager to make sure that the selection list that Spartan Nash has is the same as what should actually be uh, sold on the direct side. Because if they don't have particular items on that selection list, then those items just aren't going to be ordered by Spartan Nash. And the second thing is the forecast itself. So Amazon actually shares that forecast with Spartan Nash directly. One of the bigger challenges that we have is that there isn't much communication between the vendor side and Spartan Nash. However, if you do push your vendor manager to allow you to have that relationship with Spartan Nash, you'll often get looped into emails where you could have increased visibility into what these cuts are driven by. So oftentimes Spartan Nash will say this is a manufacturer driven cut, which means that that manufacturer did not ship Spartan Nash enough inventory. But if you look into it a little bit further, you'll probably find that Spartan Nash's forecast is just under forecasting the true demand. And now they have to work with Amazon to make sure that that gets resolved. So 
as important as it is to have your direct forecast buttoned up, it's equally as important to make sure that Spartan Nash's forecast matches the level of demand that you're going to see in that full ecosystem there. Um, and I think overall that strategy is just uh, super important for everyone to be aware of and just the working relationship with Spartan Nash as a whole. Yeah, it's a three three tiered relationship now that you're kind of like balancing rather than just directly with Amazon back and forth to make sure that like all of that is aligned with what your numbers are. And especially if you are reforecasting throughout the year as well, which many of us have to do, um, that's just something that is also very like important to understand. Like whenever you are changing numbers, changing demand, changing anything, making sure all team members are aligned on like what that number is. And like the lady said, sometimes you have to follow up pretty frequently to make sure that all of that is going smoothly. But that's definitely um, something that we would recommend. Absolutely. And then let's just talk about a few things that I think from an acronym standpoint, Holly, are a little bit different from a fill rate standpoint than what you'd probably see um, on the seller central side or even the vendor central side. So as you guys know, in vendor central itself, you're going to see the POs that come from the direct side of the business. But in vendor central, you do not have visibility into that those Spartan Nash POs. So you need to work with your vendor manager to get reports on a weekly basis. And you'll be able to see this as well in terms of the overall fill rate of what came from the Spartan Nash side of the business so that you can compile all of those and build your forecast more accurately. Um, Amazon themselves, Amazon Fresh, I should say, looks at two different acronyms. One of them is UWI and one of them is UFT. The way to decipher both of these two things, think of UFT for your online locations, think of UWI for your in-store locations. So physical stores are using UWI, which means unweighted in-stock. So say there's 10 different ASINs available on Amazon, one of them goes out of stock. Because these ASINs are not weighted, then your UWI is now 90% because one of your ASINs out of your 10 is out of stock. So the physical stores, you being out of stock of one item isn't going to hit you as hard, but UFT now weighs um, this. So again, even more important that online, which includes Spartan Nash, you are very buttoned up from a logistical standpoint, because let's say one of your top ASINs in your catalog now goes out of stock, your UFT is going to be punished a lot more than say one of your secondary or tertiary ASINs going out of stock. And that UFT is ultimately going to hurt your ability to convert on those PDPs because you don't have the inventory and you will be punished um, by Amazon for that. So Holly, any additional thoughts to add on that? I know that overall those two acronyms are not as well known in the space, um, but I think they're both very important to focus on. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of it really like is similar to how you would run your business on Amazon anyway, right? You go out of stock on like the, your best seller versus your second tertiary items. Amazon is going to push you down on page like for going out of stock on those best sellers anyway, because it uh, like it affects that algorithm and it disappoints the customer by not having the one that's driving a lot of your sales, right? So it's very much just the same sort of concept and I wouldn't get too bogged down with all the different acronyms that uh, they like to throw at you. It's really just a, a concept of, I would protect online a little bit more since like the lady said, it's a little bit more weighted. Um, like if you go out of stock on that one, they're going to be a bit more upset and push you down a little bit more by not having that availability. Um, and so 
as always, protect your bestsellers as best as you can. And if you are going to have any sort of out of stocks on bestsellers, if you are, uh, the more that you forecast that, the more that you understand when that is going to happen, communicate to Spartan Nash, communicate to your Amazon vendor manager as early as you can to like then bake that into the forecast and adjust it so that it's then not an, a surprise or a uh, missed fill rate that on um, those POs. Absolutely. Good point, Holly. And then let's just talk about it since we've been bringing up forecasts a lot. And Holly had mentioned a little bit earlier on in this uh, velocity segment that we've had to reforecast. And I think almost every fresh brand at this point has had to reforecast because of news that came out and that started to be effective at the end of February. And that news is that the minimum delivery threshold for fresh orders has nearly tripled. Um, since what it was before. So now it's $150 minimum to get free delivery. And I don't know about you, um, but when I'm buying groceries, and if you have a, a two people household right now, then you're probably not spending $150 on a weekly basis. Not judging anyone who does, because I could see how that could get um, pretty costly, especially in the economy today. But that's a pretty high threshold and has tripled over even the beginning of the year. So Holly, let's talk about it because we've seen changes in our conversion rates. What do you think? Is Amazon going to end up reverting on this or because now they need to be a bit more profit driven due to the state of the economy? Do we think that this is going to exist for at least the next year? I think it's going to exist for at least the next year. I think Amazon really is trying to focus on profitability more than anything. We see it in so many different avenues of Amazon's changes throughout the year on what they're doing there. And I know I'm pretty sure they even put a halt on creating any more fresh stores like for the yeah. year, right? Like they, you know, capped it at the 44 that exists right now. So they're really... I think trying to understand from a long-term perspective, like what they want fresh to be and like how valuable it is going to become, because there is a lot of like competitors in the space on grocery delivery and, you know, grocery um, ease of access. Right. I mean, there's so many food delivery services. There's so many like now other marketplaces that are tapping into the, you know, ease of access delivery type of, uh, you know, service. And so I think by, then putting this, you know, minimum order delivery there, it's then giving that a little bit less of a usage and then just getting them a little bit more cost saving. But on the flip side, if you are a product that's, you know, a lot lighter of cost, like it's not like, you know, even over $10, you're probably definitely getting affected by this because now a lot of customers aren't wanting to deliver. And so then it's either, you know, being near a pickup location for a fresh store or being able to go into a fresh store now rather than um, going into delivery or using delivery as more of a, um, you know, once in a while type of service rather than like, a, I'm going to do it every week, like the lady said. Um, so <laughs> and then what's interesting is that a lot of the fresh demographic, like we mentioned at the beginning, is millennials or older Gen Z, right? So I don't know if that's like big families yet, maybe in the next few years, maybe it would grow into that. I don't know if they're there yet in terms of being able to ask for $150 minimum and still get the amount of delivery that they've had in the past. So it should be interesting on like what it really on like goes down to for this year. I think that's what Amazon wants to maybe understand from a baseline is if we did this cut, what does that then do for the business? And do we need to then maybe like lower it down to a minimum of $100 or $75 or something like that to drive things up more? 
Exactly. You mentioned two interesting points, Holly, and I think we're going to see shifts in demographics. One, we'll monitor how that changes. And then two is basket size. Are people now increasing their purchases and buying less often? That's probably the case. As a consumer, that's probably what I would do too. So I know we have about seven minutes here and we've talked so much, but we can't leave out the marketing activations because I think this is really different from what we see on the online side of the business, most importantly, because there are many in-store activations that you can run. So if we're thinking about your accruals, because yes, Amazon Fresh um, brands do face accruals because they sell through Vendor Central, these merchandising accruals can add up, right? If you're dedicating eight to 10, even more than that sometimes, percentage of your total sales to a merchandising accrual, then you better make sure that those dollars are being utilized effectively to drive top line growth um, for your business and also just drive overall brand awareness. And I think that's what the in-store promotions do a really good job at doing. So I'm going to just lay the groundwork for what some of the in-store promotions look like. And then Holly's going to expand on them a little bit more. Um, a lot of these are pretty new and haven't been tested by a lot of brands, but I think there is huge opportunity for these to expand more in the future. And we're gonna start to see them a lot more in fresh stores. So the first one is a circular. The second one is an end cap, which if you sell in any other retail store, you're well familiar with. The third one is just Instagram advertising in general. And then the fourth is in aisle promotions. So the first thing that I'll say is you really have to think about it this way. Are you try trying to drive omni-channel sales, in-store sales, online sales? Are you trying to drive the conversion funnel, the awareness funnel? It all depends. And then that will narrow down which promotions you choose to engage in and which would really be best for your business. So Holly, let's start off about talking um, about end caps first, because we have learned that one of Amazon Fresh's biggest end caps is going to be taking place during a very particular time of the year in which Amazon sees the most traffic that they ever see. And that's for a 48 hour period. And I'm sure everyone can guess what that special event is. It is Prime Day. So your displays um, are going to be right in aisle, very visible for you. Holly, let's talk about some of these best practices for an end cap and why would a brand want to invest in one? Oh, well, definitely want to invest in one because it's just like Delaney said, you're going to be visible like right at that end of the aisle, right? It's that like placement that's right at the end and they put sale and all that stuff. So it's very much just a good visibility tactic of your item and ease of access to just, you know, grab that and put it into the cart for in-store, right? So definitely think that it's, a, you know, very worth it. It's driving up conversion and brand awareness pretty much right at the same time. Um, and then in terms of just best practices, I would say uh, more than anything, really align with your vendor manager and with Spartan Nash, of course, on what that forecast is going to look like, making sure you're preparing far in advance on what that inventory demand is going to look like, because it is going to be a lot more than what you would normally see, like, and you want to be able to prepare for that level of demand. Um, and definitely, I think from just an opportunity standpoint, like Delaney said, it's prime day. It's definitely like when they're going to get so much of their traffic and that's definitely going to, you know, if you perform well at an event like this, it then just gives indication to Amazon to then put you in more opportunities like this, like moving forward, right? Like they're going to want to continue to partner with you from like a marketing standpoint, whether that be in-store placement or 
online placement, anything of that sort. And then, like she said, it's really just aligning on like if you want it to be from a conversion standpoint or if you want it to be like from a brand awareness. Normally what they recommend is like kind of throughout the year, like, you know, teeter tottering on both of them and then just kind of building it up as like a whole holistic year strategy. But I definitely think NCAP is going to be one of the biggest opportunities that you see if you are selected for one. It's really a, a big driver. I agree. And I think one of the bigger advantages of the NCAPs too are that they'll run for four weeks. So yeah. some of these other promotions a lot more short lived and also harder to see that impact on your ROAS and your conversion. But say, and again, this hasn't been announced yet. So we're not sure of what the dates will look like for when these end caps will go live specifically around Prime Day. But if they're running for four weeks, if you could take advantage of both the lead up and the lead out strategies, and I know we've talked about this a lot on just our regular Vendo podcast of why you should run lead up and lead out strategies, mostly because um, the algorithm will give you more credit and your organic ranking is going to improve prior to the main event and then leading out of it, which will give you an advantage over your competitors. But this longer duration for this marketing activation versus others, again, as Holly said, it's not just an awareness play now, but it's really a highly converting um, segment of the business where you'll get that premium placement in stores. And because you have a discount tied to it, it, of course, is going to convert best. And then if you tie that into your copy and creative Say you launch an infographic that says, hey, check us out at Amazon Fresh Stores. We're launching an end cap. Or you have those same um, discounts running as vendor-powered coupons online on your Amazon Fresh business. Then again, that's all creating very seamless and integration between Amazon Fresh Online and Amazon Fresh Stores, which is just going to maximize your funnel. So Holly, unfortunately, I think we've really capped out. And I don't want to throw too much at our audience because I think we've gone over a lot today. But let's just close it out here and let's just say if you're a brand selling on fresh, I know we've talked about inventory. Give us kind of your best um, best practices in, in a nutshell here of what is the biggest tip you could give to an Amazon fresh seller? Oh, broad. Um, I think <laughs> the biggest one, though, it's like. It's honestly like a lot of the tip that I give any like seller is understanding like who your demographic is, understanding like who you're actually targeting from a product standpoint and then at what times of the year. Right. And then really from a fresh perspective itself, um, understanding that you're going to have to dip into every single part of the omni-channel experience to really maximize your overall performance within that space. Right. So it, it's not just going to be in store. It's not just going to be online. Like it really does have to touch every single part of that Amazon Fresh experience holistically and then understanding from maybe a budget perspective how you have to invest in that from every single part of the funnel whether that's marketing and uh pdp optimizations and advertising it's very similar to like how what we always say from like just selling on amazon in general but this more than anything is really like important because it touches every single part of the funnel from a customer perspective like we said at the beginning they're going to look online first then they'll maybe go in store then they'll do everything around that like it's all really integrated and so that's probably my best recommendation is just understanding that you have to be a part of all of it 
Exactly. And that's that's perfect, Holly. Well said. And I think a whole different segment that we could go into this is we've talked a lot about Amazon promotions, whether that's or Amazon awareness, whether that's driving advertising, DSP, all driving back to Amazon. But we've also not even scratched the surface of what that external strategy could look like. And again, as Holly said, external strategy is going to look very similar for just a regular brand selling on amazon.com but the external piece is just as important for amazon fresh so i'd say definitely focus on your amazon fresh store strategy and your amazon fresh online strategy but do not sleep on the fact that you still need to be driving that upper funnel brand awareness back to amazon um, for those sales there so Holly, I'm sure we're gonna have another segment because we learned something about Amazon Fresh every single day. So I will have to say that I will be seeing you back on one of these Vendo Velocities soon, I hope. <laughs> Absolutely, happy to be here. All Thanks right, perfect. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in.